0: Welcome to the latest edition of Cantillon Effects, beguiled by their own augury. Here we're going to take a look at what's happened in the past couple of weeks, notably the central bank meetings that have taken place and the often violent market reaction which they've provoked. Thank you. When Fed Chairman Jay Powell cleared his throat to speak at the Council for Foreign Relations this week, the air was one of rapt attention. The heed we pay to the pronouncement of men such as Mr Powell is, in many ways, a remarkable feature of the modern age. Progressively through our lifetimes, and especially since the late unpleasantness of the GFC, high-ranking technocrats such as he have become elevated, in our regard, into a sort of cross between the Delphic Oracle and a Roman Augur. Though the former's, the Pythia's words, were almost impenetrably equivocal, upon their interpretation turned the fate of nations and the fortune of kings her text had thus to be carefully parsed for meaning, even if it was often contrived to let the person consulting her believe that she had blessed the course of action upon which he had already long since decided, and also, while supporting, very cannily, the exact opposite construction, if his aspirations all subsequently turned to dust. If the current Fed chairman is a good deal less circumlocutory and decidedly less given to MIT macro mumble than his predecessors, the humble hedge fund suppliant at his shrine must nevertheless still work hard to penetrate to the inner truth before ringing up to tell his broker to sell a thousand dunes at market. Not least because our oracle doesn't often seem to know, from one speech to the next, what exactly is the message he intends to convey. Much like an Ur FOMC, the College of Roman Augurs too had a prominent role in the affairs of the Republic. In the run up to every big event, its members would be out scanning the skies for the passage of a flock of birds or studying a solitary eagle as its sword, so as to be able to commend, or occasionally to condemn, a coronation, a carnival, or a military campaign. Being a plural body, of course, and also being charged with the interpretation of a whole multitude of different natural phenomena, ranging from peals of thunder to the scratching in the dirt of the sacred Martian chickens. Opinions as to the advisability or otherwise of some course of action could vary greatly across the priesthood. Just as, in the time of Cicero, our official diviners can also violently disagree, as we see when a Kashkari shrieks at surveys showing signs of unanchored inflation expectations among the good folk of Minneapolis, and so howls for an immediate 50 basis point rate cut, while a kaplan calmly counters that his chicken's entrails, reveal a trimmed mean PCE that is not only consistent with the talismanic 2% target the bank has set itself, but poised to move higher beyond it before very long. The reason so much weight is given to these prognostications is that, in the business of post-crisis professional investment, one's principal job is increasingly not to analyse the minutiae of the free cash flow being thrown off by, or the accounts receivable being accumulated during, the operations of some established maker of widgets, since the chances are its major shareholders are either eyeless in Gaza, blind slaves bound to some index or other in which the stock is included, or the firm is sponsored only by being forcibly bundled into the anonymizing sausage machine of an ETF, alongside some loosely compatible glimmer of other readily marketable theme counters. These, of course, all being lashed tightly together at the mast of the ship of fools, will tend to rise and fall with the level of hype or harumph being generated by the likes of Mr Powell, regardless of their individual merits, and thus making everyone into lowly chasers of beta, smart or otherwise, leveraged or not. In an evolution from the practices of old, which we should not necessarily regard as constituting an unalloyed advance upon them, Our latter-day Haruspices do not rest at merely reading meaning into the random flight of, say, a heron, but they have arrogated to themselves wide, previously unthinkable powers to determine the location number and breeding rituals of such specimens, to flush them on demand from the habitat so provided, and even to direct the timing and the bearing of their flight. Moreover, in another highly suspect departure from their predecessors' methods, The seers of the Mariner S. Eccles building have come to add to the list of tangible omens, jobless rosters, inflation rates, production totals and their ilk, a whole spirit world of unobservable ones, ethereal concepts such as natural rates of interest and employment or the ectoplasm of expectations. Finally, and perhaps most perniciously of all, like some Victorian parlour trickster who convinces herself that she really is in touch with dear cousin Marmaduke on the other side, our necromancers have become besotted with gauging the reaction of the audience to their portents and contriving to find in it a new and exciting source of insight. Neglected in all the numerology of, say, term premier and forward break-even rates is the fact that the herd is constantly jockeying to get profitably ahead of a fed whose idiosavants are simultaneously looking at the market phenomena so generated as if the signals which they derive from this circular interplay are as scientifically independent and exogenous as an observatory's careful photon-by-photon measurement of the spectral lines emanating from some far-distant star cluster. To take an all-too-pertinent example, the Fed reacts strongly to developments in CPI, in its rhetoric, if not always in its realised rate settings. Now, spot oil prices tend to exert a good deal of influence on short-horizon CPI, and a lower CPI is seen as a positive for bonds, particularly those at the longer maturities. A fall in the oil price thus not only leads to a rally in 10-year notes, but often to their outperforming bonds of lesser tenor. Hence, the gap between 5 and 10 years is squashed. The yield curve therefore flattens, as we say, And that's a development which sets the toxin ringing loudly all on its own these days. Inevitably, the far less liquid inflation-linked tips, which queue off this bracketing pair of plain vanilla bellwethers, also begin to suffer a compression of the difference between them. Hey presto, the current FOMC fetish, the five-year, five-year forward break-even rate, falls. And the Kashkaris of this world give vent to fears of a dragging anchor Knowing this, the bond market trades more bullishly still, and soon that is triggering fears of an economic deceleration. That often acts to further depress oil prices. Before you know it, yields are in a death spiral of witless self-reinforcement, and the Fed is soon, as Mr Powell helpfully disclosed this week, grappling with the question of when to cut rates and by how much. Amid the risk route which brought 2018 to a close and before Jay Powell first blinked or had sand thrown in his his eyes by the president, the rate implied for borrowing three-month money three months into the future, the so-called 360s FRA, was 85 basis points over that moment Fed's funds rate, a relation which was implying that at least three further 25 basis point rate hikes were being anticipated. At the last reckoning, that steep premium had swung violently to a sizeable 37 basis point discount and so was pricing on getting on for two cuts, not three hikes. That move was the fastest such shift in outlook seen in any comparable interval since the dark days of 2009's latter half when the Fed was busy buying a trillion dollars worth of securities and boosting reserve balances almost 60% or $400 billion. In this move, roughly $850 billion of one-year equivalent risk has been reshaped by hedge fund CTAs and other hot money types rushing frantically from one side of the boat to overload the other as they lean out. Now of course all this hyperactivity has not been entirely the Fed's own doing. That motel lounge magician who presides over the European Central Bank, marvellous Mario Draghi, has recently tried to end his residency at the casino with a big enough closing number to reduce, shall we say, any more Teutonic teutonic replacements' hopes of quickly ending the euro's own insanity to utter rubble by launching a forward-guided missile of his own. Rate cuts were the least of the hints he dropped heavily for he also dangled the prospect of a resurrection of the programme which has seen almost 2 trillion euros in securities purchases made over the past 4 years a programme which has notably hoovered up twice as many member state government bonds as were newly issued in that time. Nor is he the only sorcerer's apprentice conjuring buckets and brooms into life to the sound of a Dukas musical. In the attempt to hit shamanic inflation goals, the BOJ ploughs on wearily adding $20 billion a month to the pile, much of that leaking out into the notorious cove bonds being bundled into US CDOs and issued via the Cayman Islands. The Aussies have cut, the Indonesians have eased, and the Indians, even the Icelanders, have done the same. While China is yet again in full hands-to-the-pump, keep-the-plate-spinning, five-alarm-fire-mode. The irony of all this is that the markets have been led to pricing so much easing ahead of its actual delivery, and in some cases absent much in the way of any incontrovertible need for it, that they would seem ripe for disappointment, if only of the buy the rumour sell the fat kind. And meanwhile, nagging doubts do persist, that the blind alley down which the soothsayers are speeding us ever faster has a very solid brick wall lurking around one of its upcoming bends. For instance, The BOJ's Corroda has many vocal critics, both within and without its walls, who argue that he is now undermining the very commercial banks his policies are supposed to be rejuvenating. Hamlet's mother could have had Luis de Guindos and others on the ECB council in mind, too. For ladies or not, they certainly do protest too much, methinks, in their unconvincing assertions that European banks are not also being damaged by the mix. And then China's various bigwigs and regulators are also all too clearly aware that they are left trying to fix the leaks in a perishing hosepipe by banging nails into each new hole as it when it appears. For our part, we have waxed incandescent in the past about the abomination that is a negative rate structure, and we have also suggested that the predictable loss of both nominal and real worth which it inflicts on one's less risky savings is little more than a wealth tax. A tax which those who are still inclined to prudence and thrift must save save increasing amounts to overcome, meaning that a version of self-defeating Ricardian equivalence is at play here. But rather than repeat our own strictures, let's leave it instead to the recent missive of the aforementioned Dallas-fed rate cut sceptic Robert Kaplan to make our case. We'll see that it's not just a drain on savers capital, or the anti-Darwinian preservation of zombie companies that makes overly low rates self-defeating, but the meretricious success of those bull market darlings, the unicorns, too. We quote, Our view at the Dallas Fed is that the structural forces of technology, technology technology-enabled disruption, and to some lesser extent globalization, are muting the relationship between labor market tightening and wage gains. In addition, new business models are disrupting old business models and allowing consumers to have more power in choosing the lowest price at the highest level of convenience. Amazon, Uber, Lyft, Airbnb and so on. Now for the money quote. These models are often further enabled by the fact that the cost of capital is historically low and financial markets are willing to assign these businesses substantial valuations and advance substantial amounts of capital even though these companies frequently generate little or no profitability in their early years. And with the glorious example of Tesla, for instance, in mind, in their later years too. Back to Mr. Kaplan. Against this background, numerous Dallas-fed business contacts report having materially less pricing power today than they have had historically. Based on these discussions, it is our view that as the cyclical forces build which lead to increased costs, these cost increases are just as likely to lead to business margin erosion as they are to higher prices. Loosely translated, we read this as follows. Because we at the Fed and our peers have made a nonsense of interest rates and swamped the world in credit, our capital markets have become vast Ponzi schemes in which all the insiders extract hefty gains from sexy sounding companies which never actually make any meaningful economic return on said capital. What such entities sell to coin a phrase, is all sizzle and no stake, and in doing so they deny real businesses, whose progress is far less easy for the Wall Street Dream Factory to exploit, all hope of earning a return on their own much more hard-won capital. Now some of my fellow witch doctors consider the remedy to the resulting scrabble for revenues and the below-target inflation which that brings to be to get out our spellbooks once more and make an even bigger nonsense of rates by drowning the world abracadabra in even more credit. As a result of this latest thematogy gold, that perennial bird of ill omen, as our augurs might put it, has jumped a hundred and seventy odd books back to a six year high in only a few short days. With financial market stress indicators such as volatilities and credit spreads subdued, this can only be the metal acting not this time as a systemic insurance, but as a refuge for excess liquidity, which is a polite way of saying, as an inflation hedge. In addition, Bitcoin, for heaven's sake, has shot up 165% to almost $14,000 a pop. And another sign of mass insanity is that Austria has sold 100-year debt at barely more than 1% per annum to a posse of yield-hungry pension and insurance companies who are thus willing to risk a capital loss of around 5% for every one-tenth of 1% increase in yields hereafter. Finally, Greek Greek 10-year paper, a troubled category of obligation well on its way to becoming worthless not that long ago, has traded all the way down to a princely historically low 2.35%. What Mises described as the final inflationary paroxysm of a Flucht in Sachwerte, a flight to real values, has in our bizarro world evidently become a Flucht in Unichtwerte, a flight to unreal ones. But then, this is a market where, with the straightest of straight faces, some analyst or other recently binoned the fact that a euro suddenly rebounding from a two-year low to a three-month high against the greenback in the days after the last ECB meeting meant that J. Powell's lamentable defection to the preemptive easing camp had effectively outbid Draghi's earlier démarche, and that therefore the latter had lost credibility. Quote, in what can only be described as, well, his drive to cost the euro whatever remains of its own tattered credibility. It seems we are living not so much in an age of irrational exuberance, to quote a former grand mage of the inner circle, as one of highly exuberant irrationality,